I'm Collier Landry, subject of the investigation discovery documentary A Murder in Mansfield. On New Year's Eve 1989, I awoke in the middle of the night to the sound of two loud thuds. The next morning, my mother was missing, but I knew she was no longer alive. No one believed me except one detective. And 25 days later, police found my mother's body buried beneath the basement floor of my father's new home he purchased for his mistress. I had witnessed a murder. And at the age of 12, I testified against my father at his months-long murder trial. He is still incarcerated to this day. I'm Collier Landry. And I'm Brenda Fisher. And this is Moving Past Murder. Our first Moving Past Murder, which we have filmed. Happy Easter to everyone who's out there. Uh, I have promised the listeners of this podcast for quite a while now that I would read my father's letters. And I have, Brenda, as you know, yes. recently acquired them. Yes, a whole bin of them. So behind me, there is a bin of letters, which I have not seen pretty much since I was a child. We did use them in the film Murder in Mansfield. My production team with Investigation Discovery did take these letters and scan them for use in the film, which many people have seen and they've been, you know, whatnot. But I have not looked at these letters since I received them. And there are some of these letters in the bins that have not been opened. Really? Yeah, there's a reason why, because someone, when somebody like my father, who I consider to probably be a sociopath, um, when those people um, get their hooks in you, and one of the ways that they can be abusive, even, even from a long range away, you know, mm-hmm. he's in prison, right? He's locked up. I live in California. He's nowhere right. near me. Is they can bombard you with like letters. And I've seen him do it to other people. It's, uh, it's, it's a way of controlling people. So you constantly sit on there. And then if I would speak to him on the phone, he would say, did you read my letter? Did you read my letter? So it's a way of controlling. And it's really insidious and sneaky how people like this do this. And it's a, obviously a, probably a common trait between, you know, killers and, and, you know, offenders that are narcissists and sociopaths, right? Psychopaths. This is how they behave. This is part of their behavior. So I have a bunch of these letters that I even open. Let's get to it. I'm going to reach into this bin of magic behind me, which I'm going to show you guys. And I'm going to take out a random letter and we're going to open it right here. I'm going to read it live. Now we're going to do this a couple of times because God forbid it's a letter that's really boring. Like, hi, thanks for, you know, whatever. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Most of them are not boring. I don't think to a lot of our viewers, but anyone who's wanted to look inside my world, which I know a lot of you have, a lot of you are really curious on what my father is really like. And I've never encountered these types of things. So I'm going to share them with you right now. So I'm going to turn around here. And It's heavy. It is heavy. I think it weighs something like 35 pounds or something. I don't know. Wow. 25, something like that. So there's a bunch here. And they've been bundled. If you can see that. They have been bundled by the production company because they used them and they went through them and read them. Now, I, you know, a lot of people might not know, I had nothing to do with the editorial process on A Murder in Mansfield. Did you know that, Brenda? I did not know that. You know why? Why? 
because my comments on the film of how it should be edited would have been completely narcissistic. Yeah. And self-serving. Yeah. Because I would have said, I sound stupid there. I look fat and that doesn't really serve the, the narrative of the film very well. I tell come on, we're all, every time we're on camera, I'm looking at camera right now. I'm like, Oh, you know, when you're on camera, you're, you're very self-conscious. I mean, I think all of us are. I don't think that is anything that everybody is. Do you put a camera? I mean, I'm a cinematographer for a living. So when I point a camera at somebody that's not ready to have a camera pointed out, they all of a sudden are talking, all of a sudden the camera goes, <gasps> yeah. so that we all freeze up and we have our moments. So, and moments where we don't sound so sophisticated. Like I think I was saying, uh, <laughs> I was talking about my father and I said, you know, there's a level of self deprecation, but I didn't say deprecation. <laughs> I said defecation. Oh, self-defecation. Yeah, well, that happens too, but usually after a, a night of intense drinking, maybe. And I remember, oh boy, <laughs> those were the days. Don't miss them at all. Um, it was funny because I said to my friend, John Morrissey, who was my co-executive producer, and I said, John, I said, how did I, um, how do I look? Because he had seen a cut. And he goes, well... I, I said, how do I sound? He goes, yeah, he's like, you're great. You're great. Except for like, you know, you had a little snafus. Like you meant to say self-deprecating or self-deprecation. You said self-defecation. <laughs> I was like, oh man. Did they edit that out? I hope. I think I'm pretty sure they, I got, I hope so. Uh, when I did watched they, it, I viewers, didn't. did they edit that out? Cause that's scary. Yeah. I don't, I think they did edit it out because when I watched it, I didn't hear that because I would have told you and I would have laughed. As you should. Yes. If you don't laugh, there's something wrong with you. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Anyways, that said, uh, so I'm going to pull out some letters. Let me see here. So they, all of these little clips, like I showed you, and there's a ton of them. I think I probably have. No, we're not going to read all of these at once, by the way, just so everyone's really clear. I'm going to pull out like a couple, and this is going to be kind of like a regular occurrence on this podcast because I think it makes it really unique, and I think it really shows you guys what it's like to be inside the mind of somebody who is a sociopath and a killer. And I know there's a lot of true crime people that are interested in that, but more more so, hopefully we all can get a really good education on how these people operate. Yes. Uh, because th there's a bunch of books that have been written lately about narcissism. Like one of them is called The Narcissist Playbook, which I read recently. And there have been a lot of cases of these types of individuals really coming forward, especially in COVID. Like when you're trapped in a house with somebody and you don't really know who they are, when you're trapped in that house for months on end, you're going to find out who they are pretty quickly. Oh yeah. And then you're like, get me the heck out of here. That's for sure. Uh, so anyways, I'm going to pull some out here. Let me see. And again, I haven't read these since I read them when I was a kid or a young adult or whatever that time was. I don't even know what the dates are. I have not put these in order yet. All right. I'm going to pull a couple. I'm just going to pick them randomly. And some of them have photos and little drawings. Oh, let's get this one. It has a little drawing on it. Hmm. Did he draw looks, that? Yeah, this looks like an empty envelope. <laughs> Interesting enough, my father would um, claim that he did these things. My father was not a talented artist as far as I knew. That sort of fell on my sort of side of the... Uh, my, me? That was me? Oh, okay. Here's a bunch of newspaper articles and a very brief letter. I'm not going to look at that one either. No, I think he just would pay somebody in prison or have some sort of exchange. 
Oh, wow, there's more. There's all kinds of things. Let me just see if I can find them. All right. Yeah, here we go. This is, okay, this is a colored envelope. This is probably a card. We can look at that. That feels mm -hmm. what it feels like. Okay. Often in prison, they make them out of uh, manila, uh, um, manila, not envelopes, manila, manila file folders. All right, we got three of them. You're getting a peek into my world. <laughs> I hope that doesn't end badly. <laughs> I don't know, but your neighbors are killing me with the cooking. It smells I, so I'm telling you, I don't good. know what they make. I don't know what they're making. Every time, it smells good. I know. I just want to go knock on their door and say hi. They're from Tunisia. I don't know what they eat in Tunisia. I know that it's Middle Eastern food, obviously. Well, it's mm -hmm. Tunisia is in North Africa next to Egypt and mm -hmm. all that. And between Algeria and Egypt, I believe, but don't quote me on that. So it's Mediterranean because they're close to the Mediterranean Sea. And then you've got sort of that cuisine. Anyways, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean, a lot of similar ingredients, cardamom. And how would they feel about you knocking on their door saying, hi, I'm here for dinner? Oh, no, no, trust me. I have been very tempted many times to do that. And I've only lived here for like a month. So <laughs> I don't really want to... Um, Make them think it you're the deprecate the bed on that one. Oh, I got you. Oh, oh, oh not a so All right, I'll be here all night. Yeah. Um, no, no I, I don't want to, uh, you know, put them off like this early and into the um, neighbor neighbor relationship. <laughs> right. Okay. So <laughs> I can either do this and read them to y'all or I can put on my glasses. I'm going to go for option B. Yeah, I think that's a good and idea. Everyone's just going to have to live with it. Yes, I have to wear glasses to read sometimes. It happens Especially when you get older. Phones. Because you know what I do? I do not. I look at the phone and the text is small. And instead of being somebody who's intelligent and actually goes and says, you know what? I'm going to adjust it so the letters are bigger and the numbers are bigger. And I can read this without straining my eyes. I go, I'm not doing that. I don't have bad eyes. I'm just going to make myself forced to read this. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't end well. Is that how you talk to yourself? That is how I talk. That's my okay. in, inner voice. Your inner, inner monologue voice. Voices in your head. Okay. So this is Dr. Jack Boyle, number 2226331, B as in boy, or Boyle. Ha <laughs> ha. Two four six, and this was in he, when he was at Warren Correctional Institution uh, in Lebanon, Ohio. Okay, and I'm going to show it to you guys so you can see it. Lebanon, Ohio. Has he changed places? Many times. Oh, really? And why is that? Well, I, I don't really know what the process is. Why do they do? It? I'm going to keep this up so everyone can see it. There's no like, you know, sleight of hand or any magic, magic tricks. tricks going on. I'm not going to pull out another letter. Um. No, I don't know. I honestly, I, you know, they move prisoners. It's a thing. I, you know, he was, I think Warren actually, what is the date? The date is a little hard. Oh, 1994, 14th November, 1994. If you can see that. All right. Okay. So I have some interesting news that I discovered what? but this is because I have not opened these just so you know what does it say I opened it up and it says AD 2006 come and worship oh wow <laughs> oh my goodness I'm gonna read this okay. but I'm gonna leave out the names of the innocent because that's my ex-girlfriend so we're not gonna mention her name <laughs> you know what I mean like why like why yeah. involve her in my nonsense come on and she's very cool. Like, we're not, there's nothing. And a really good human. And she was the original Chihuahua mom. She oh. was Blondie's original mama. Well, second original mama. There was another one that started with a P, then it became to the M. And she was, she was, one of, she was the reason why we got Blondie. 
Uh, so this has a quote, of course. Here we go. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That is from Revelations 21.3. Anno <laughs> Domini, 2006. Now the letter part. Let's see what this says, because this is dated 2007. So this is just all over the place. So my father, as far as I know, went to seminary school in... What is the place is by the Hamptons, but it's not the Hamptons. Um, no, uh, not Long Island, of course, but uh, do, do, do. I can't remember. You got I'll me. Of, I'll think of it by the end of the okay. podcast for sure. Um, or maybe he'll mention it in the letter. You never know that. Hey, that'd maybe. be interesting, right? Dear Bumper and M. Oh, Sunday afternoon, August 19th, 2007. Dear Bumper and Got a lot cooler over here the past few days. Good sleeping weather. If you can block out the noise in the cell blocks, ha, prison life, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I wanted to continue on with more family information, so here it goes. I don't know where Pop-Pop, Norbert John Schmidt, went to school or where Nana, Marie Frances Ledwith, went to school. I'm having a BF on this one, which I think he means brain fart. Okay. My father, see, now you know where the acronyms come from. Yes. Everyone, you especially, always give me grief about my acronym usage because it's a consistent, I'm, I'm always saying acronyms. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, figure it out. I did. Yeah. BF, brain fart. Makes sense to me. Grandpa, John Francis Boyle Sr., attended and graduated from West Philadelphia Catholic High School for Boys, 49th and Chestnut Streets, Philadelphia, 19139. He was taught there by, by the Brothers of the Christian Schools. I took an advanced math course there in the summer between my freshman and sophomore year here at St. Sophomore year at St. John's, which was a Catholic private high school. I believe it was pretty cool being in the same school where your dad had attended West Catholic was opened in 1916 and remains, remains open to this day. Grammy Christine Maria Margaret Patricio attended my grandmother attended and graduated from West Philadelphia Catholic highs Catholic girls high school. 4501 Chestnut Street, Philadelphia, 19139. Many, Saint Fa many different groups of nuns taught there simultaneously. Sisters of Christian Charity, Sisters of St. Francis of Philadelphia, Sisters of the Holy Child Jesus, Sisters, Servants and the, of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Sisters of St. Joseph. So I do not know who taught Grammy. Girls West Catholic was opened in 1927. Aunt Mimi attended and graduated from this school. Grandpop was always driving the nuns around when they needed to go places. He did this in his free time. The school remains open to this day. Ann Carol Schmidt attended and graduated from... Now I'm like reading personal information about my family. This is a great way to start this. Okay. Right. I'm like, this is like a history lesson or something? This is like a history it's lesson random? and, you know, oh boy. Okay. I, I don't even know what to say about this. I know. It's kind of like... <laughs> today, I think I'll... I'll Right but you see history. how thorough any if anyone wonders wh where I get my um yeah. loquacious uh tendencies from this is it. My father likes to talk and write. I mean like what else you can do when you're in prison, right? True. That's a good point. Maybe he feels like he needs to give you this information since he can't really tell you Since after you know, since nobody since I was abandoned because he murdered my mother and he molested my two cousins and everybody hated him and nobody wanted to talk to me yeah that probably good yeah. idea. so now i can get his spin on it so there you go who knows if this is even true which Ex is this is the wonderful That's thing exactly this is why but thinking. this is why i want to read these letters okay 
this is the problem. This is the issue when your father is a sociopath and he's a, a pathological liar. You don't know what the F you can believe and what you can't. And right. when the rest of your family doesn't talk to you to tell you these things, you have absolutely no clue what's true and what's not. So I literally will go to my grave not really knowing what the F happened. Well, maybe Period. they'll listen to the podcast and listen to the letters and they'll tell you like, hey, that's true and that's, this is not so true or maybe. Maybe. I also believe in the Easter Bunny, apparently. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, back to the back Good to the letters. To know. But this is why we're doing this. This is moving past murder. This is what you have to deal with. This is part of the aftermath of violence and legacies and how these destroy families and how all this stuff just really uh, affects me. Because it still affects me as a as a as a you know as a as a man as a grown man who you know if I had a child one day, what do I tell him about the family really? Okay, well, it was really effed up, and you know, my dad, your grandfather, murdered your my mom, your grandmother, and I went into foster care, and nobody talked to me in my family, and I testified, and I put like, what am I going to talk about? I mean, it's insane. I have a crazy question for you. Sure, go ahead. Have you ever done like um, the ancestry stuff, like the twenty three? Yeah, the twenty three and me. That's all these things are on my like. Uh, you should do it. I wonder list. if you have more. Siblings oh no, no, out we're there. gonna no, 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 we're gonna do that. Oh yeah, I, trust Ooh. me, that's that's definitely occurred in my. Uh, yeah. I have definitely thought like, what if my father, like what if somebody literally comes out of the blue and was like, Hey, I'm a, my name is Eric. I'm a, <laughs> th- oh, I'm going to say this though. It's kind of like, I'm going to say the this Manson for the kids. record. I'm going to say this for the record. No, it's not Manson kids. No, no. I'm going to, I'm going to say this. Oh, the man, oh, those Manson kids. Got it. Yeah. I'm going to say this for the record. I hope whoever it is, is normal. Has like had this most vanilla life. I have a wonderful wife, kids, and he's, and I hope they're rich rich and just generous and loving and just like i've had the best life and i'll be like ah that's amazing thank you because you dodged a bullet my friend you didn't have him in your life to ruin it or attempt to ruin it my life is not ruined let me be really clear my life is absolutely fantastic despite everything i've been through everyone in my life knows that i'm very blessed and i'm very grateful to be here i mean that 100 percent sincerely I, i really do that said if this mystery relative or brother or sister of mine after a 23andMe test, which I guess we'll do and we'll put it on the podcast. Let's, great. Do, Let's it. do it. That'd yeah. be amazing. That we're going to order that this week. That'll be it. Yeah. I love it. Where is Collier from? I know that I'm Italian, Irish, German, and that's it. I think my, I was always under the impression that my, my mother always told me that her mother was English, but apparently she was Irish. So that's one of those things. It is. It's interesting. I did the So 20- I'm half Irish. Half Irish. Quarter German mm-hmm. and a quarter Italian. You think you are? I think. I mean, that's what I've told. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I thought sure. that I was more German, but then when I did 23andMe, I found out that I'm more Irish and English than I am German. And I found out that I had a brother out there that I had no idea about. So. There you have it. Merry right Christmas. There. Merry Christmas. Happy Easter. Um <laughs> Hey, there you go. Thank you, Easter Bonnie. Bok, bok. By the way, Brenda is over my shoulder here to the <laughs> left. We don't have a camera on her because she is sitting. My friends call them the cocaine couches, not because that's been done there, but they look like they should be in Scarface. But they're very modern and cool. Drag of that is that they sit really low. They do. So she's sitting in like this hunched like sort of position. So it's not very good for camera. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to put you on camera because it doesn't look very good. You should see me when I try to get out of it. That said, let's get back to the letters, shall we? We shall. They worked at a Thomas Jefferson University hospital and graduate hospital in Philadelphia. She was working there when she married Leonard Bernard Sutt Finley, then did not work after marriage. Carol was 19 when she married Sutt. 
Carol, always the wild girl, met Sut at a bar. Note, Carol was a direct opposite of Mommy, which I already knew. They would always go to the same bar together. Sut is at least eight or nine years older than Carol. Obviously, Sut got his nickname because he drank a lot. <laughs> what? I knew he drank. I mean, he's Irish. What right? is Sut? But How I don't know do what do a Sut drinking? is. And does anyone know want to help us out on this? If you are watching or listening to the podcast. Yeah. My Uncle Sut was always really lovely to me, as was my Aunt Carol, and all of my relatives were very lovely to me, even after the whole incident, the, the murder and all this stuff. Even though all of the craziness happened and I was kind of left alone, uh, they were still really lovely when my adopted parents, George and Susan Ziegler, tried to reconnect me and uh, tried to and then realized that, like myself, that they're just crazy. Everybody's crazy. They're like, oh, this kid's got a nuts family. Uh, kid's family's nuts. Um, but they were really nice and really loving. The problem is, is that when you go through such trauma, nobody really knows how to deal with it. And I was pretty much the only one that did. And that's why we, you know, we talked about the film. It's just uh, nobody knew how to be an adult except for me, which is weird because I was a child. But anyways, that said, I love them dearly. They're wonderful people. Sut, God rest his soul. My grandparents, my grandparents were all dead before, except for my grandmother, my mother's father. Or, sorry, my father's mother. She passed away years later. That's another story for another day because it's interesting yeah. how that one ended up because, wow. Oh, boy. Like I said, trauma, murders, all that. Trauma, trauma, so, trauma. So, anyways, I don't know where Sut did his high school. He did complete two years of college at Long Island University and majored in horticulture. After he graduated from LIU, he went to work for, for Aspland Tree Service in Philadelphia. Aspland has gone on to become one of the largest tree clearing businesses in the United States. Coming in after hurricane storms, con contracts with cities, governments, power lines, etc., Leonard quit that job and then was working as a working in management training for the American Oil Company. Now I knew him when he worked. For, I believe he worked for Texaco, but let's see what my father says. While he was working for American Oil Company, Amico, he eventually became, which eventually became BP, is when he met Carol. The Schmids opposed the marriage, but Carol was bullheaded, and they they let it go on, but only reluctantly. They attended the wedding, but were not happy. Sut had a had a th had a red TR3 sports car, which is a Triumph. We love Triumphs here, which they paid off for him in hopes of reconciling quote a good life for their daughter. It didn't work. A year after they were married, she and their dog, a dachshund named Gretel, were in a car in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Leonard was drunk, hit another car. Carol went through the windshield. That is the scar she carries on her left cheek and the partial paralysis of her left face. She also acquired a nervous tick on that side, which kicks in uncontrollably. Gretel was never seen again. Naturally, nothing serious happened to Sut. I guess I do not have to tell you how upset Nana and Pop-Pop were about this incident. Carol was in the hospital for a week, and the Schmids went out there to take care of her. But it is only one incident of many more incidents to come in Carol's agonizing future with Sut. Sut did everything he could to antagonize the Schmids until the day they both died then had nothing nice to say about them after they were both gone. No, I don't know why she never left him. Maybe it was a pride embarrassment thing? It certainly wasn't a Catholic thing because Carol is not a practicing Catholic. I suspect it was fear of him. Again, just another speculation. I would not be surprised if we hear someday, someday she shoots him? Question mark. Wow. I'm just going to stop this right here. And I'm actually... I'm actually really glad we opened this letter because oh. this is just 
Yeah, it started this, out a little slow, but then we oh, kind of went down the rabbit okay, hole. So here we are. This is this letter is dated August nineteenth, two thousand and seven. Now, I wasn't informed my uncle Sad had passed away, but I believe that he had passed away from a heart attack, or probably around like two thousand seven, two thousand eight ish, two thousand nine, two thousand. I'm not sure. So we don't speak ill of the dead here at all. Um, however, I know from my family and from my mother, and I remember as a child, I knew that Sut had a tumultuous relationship with my grandparents, my my mother's my mother's parents and my obviously my aunt's parents and things like that. And I, I, I know that I'm aware of that. I know that Sut was, I never knew Sut was probably drunk, but I don't know that I was a kid, but he was always boisterous and had a good, he was, he was always really nice to me is my point in saying this. I really loved uncle Sut. I remember he, I think he gave me a Texaco sign when I was a kid and stuff. And I just remember like Texaco oil stuff. And like, you know, you go to his house and he had these little cars, little truck oil trucks and stuff like the things you play with. Cause you're a kid and you love that thing. Right. But this is the point that I want to get to, and this is why I'm really glad we opened this letter, because as much as this my this is my father talking about, this is your family history. Right. Let me just clarify something here. Okay. Because I started to chuckle when I read this. Not because of what my father was saying, but because it was my effing father saying it. Right. So let me just go to this line, which I think is really... So my father says... We're going to backtrack here. Naturally, nothing serious happened to Sut. I guess I do not have to tell you how upset Nana and Pop-Pop were about this incident. Carol was in the hospital for a week, and the Schmids went out there to take care of her. But it is only one incident of many more incidents to come in Carol's agonizing future with Sut. Sut did everything he could to antagonize the Schmids until the day they both died. They had nothing, then had nothing nice to say about them after they were gone. Wow. Okay. Sut did everything he could to antagonize the Schmids until the day they both died. Yeah, and you waited until both my grandparents were dead to murder my effing mother, you POS. <laughs> the, in what position, in a, in a real world scenario, in what position is a man who murdered the mother of his child who was in prison writing him about his family in any position to pontificate about normal sense of decorum on how people behave or what they do or, or the, or the uh, nature of their destruction on a family. I'm sorry. I'm going to use, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, are you fucking serious? This is. Yikes. Uh, this is, this is unfucking believe, but this is exactly why we are reading these letters where we are sharing these. This is the mind of a fucking sociopath. This is the mind of a narcissist and a sociopath that is so eager to divert any attention to him or the impact that he has had on a family, on a child, children, family, cousins, aunts, uncles. He's going to sit in a fucking prison cell and write this bullshit to me? As if I'm going to sit here and take it? You fucking out of your goddamn mind? Going to be lots of beeping in this episode? Yep, and for those of you just tuning in, this shit just got real. Yeah, so this is me reading a phone. I mean, this is this is unbelievable. And then, then, then he goes on, and this is like two pages more. I mean, it's like 30 minutes I'm reading this thing. 
No, I don't know, quote, why she never left him. Maybe it was a pride embarrassment thing. It certainly wasn't a Catholic thing because Carol is not a practicing Catholic. I suspect it was fear of him. Again, you think just another speculation. I would not be surprised if we hear someday she shoots him. I I mean, okay. First of all, like I said, my uncle said was a really lovely guy and, and whatever their issues, because we're all adults here. They always seem to be in good spirits and in love with one another. So who is it to say? Who is it anyone to say that? On top of that, what in the, I mean, this is, there's even no, there's no way to frame this guys. And there's no way to, so for everyone who's listening, these are letters that I'm reading from my father. There is, this is why I want to read these letters again, because and a, and a psychologist and a sociologist and, and a criminologist would probably literally listen and would read these letters and go, this is a classic gaslighting and manipulation tactic to slander and give us. Now, I understand that this is a family opinion and this might be, I may have another relative that would tell me the same thing and I get it. We all make mistakes. And tragically, this happened to my aunt. I remember her, her little tick and stuff like that. And she's a lovely, beautiful person. But the fact that my father can hear you say this is uh, is the word chutzpah <laughs> just doesn't even cover it. Cojones. No, but that's like that that is like colossal or colossal nerve, right? Cojones, chutzpah, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. This is some other level shit. This is the, but this is classic of a narcissist and a sociopath and someone who is again gaslighting and diverting blame, shifting blame, saying. Well, look over here, guys. Look over here. Shiny object. I'm not so bad because this is what these other people did. Oh, they did this. Right. Yeah, he didn't murder my aunt. He didn't plot out to kill her because he impregnated his mistress and she, his wife was divorcing him, who was the mother of his child, and then buy a house and bury her body in the basement after he strangled her and smashed the back of her skull in and put her. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? Nope. That is, I think uh, we're going to make this episode explicit. <laughs> I think we I'm going to beat this out because this is, yeah, I'm going to have to. I can't. Are you, you trying know. to make this family friendly? <laughs> I'm trying to make this family friendly, I guess. But like, I, I, you know, I don't mean to use this type of profanity, but I mean, guys, come on. I mean, here. Cole, you're, do you still talk to these relatives? Are they still around? What can you ask anybody about this? Look, I know some of this is true. I know that he had a car accident, that he was drinking, that they were out partying. They were, I don't know, what, what were they? 21, 22? It happens. It happens a lot. How old are they now? Well, my, my uncle, like I said, I believe passed away in like the late 2000s. Had okay. a heart attack. He had a lot of heart problems, I remember growing up. I believe my aunt is still alive. I don't communicate with her. I, I think that, you know, obviously with this whole thing and the trauma and my father molesting their children, by the way. Oh, this was the one. Yeah, this is my mother's sister. Yeah, oh. Carol, that he's talking about. Not this is the thing. At the end of the day, not everybody in my family is as strong as I am, and that's not like a a read on them or just a uh, oh, oh I'm so great because I can handle this sh- shit. But honestly, it's the truth. That's why I was the adult trying to get everybody. That's why I testified against my father. That's why I was like because somebody had to do something because nobody else was, and this man wasn't going to get away with this. And this is classic fucking manipulation. And right. when I was a child, or oh, he wrote this to me, I was 2007, so I was 20, 29. I'm still 29. You're still 29, so I don't know, man. Just kidding. Yeah, I was Can't 29 years there. old when he was saying. And I and I believe that he he would send me these letters at times 
with like family histories and stuff. And a lot of it, wait till, oh my goodness, wait till we get to the letters when he fantasizes and romanticizes the relationship that he has with my mother oh boy. and how much he loved her and all this. I mean, it's, this is crazy, but this is why we're doing this. I mean, he loved her so much that he wanted to take her with him to his new home with his mistress. One way or another. Yeah. I mean, okay. I just, this is, this episode is running long. I'm going to, we're going to, I don't know, get into this letter again. I think we've already heard enough, though. Yeah, that's really. a lot. Holy Moses. There is just, this is just so disturbing to me. The, yeah, this is just so disturbing. And I, and I suspect here, oh, yeah, oh, wow. Okay, I think so. I think, okay, I'm seeing in this letter now, mm-hmm. we're going to do a part two. Okay. This is, now he's going to get into when he met my mother. Oh. And their whole story. And how much it was love at first sight. Because I'm previewing here a little bit. Episode 7 will be coming out in another week. And you'll have just have to stand by. Because then he's going to talk about my mother. And how they met. And oh how boy. much he loved her. Oh boy. Unbelievable. Mm. I don't really know what to say. I'm really heated right now. I can I better tell. Go for a ru- I am so pissed off. I know. But I, this is not, but I, honestly, at the same time, this is not surprising to me. It's not like I'm going, oh, wow, this is new information. This is not, this is nothing new. This guy's a sociopath. Right. I think the thing that I thought with reading these letters that it would just be kind of interesting, his take on things and whatnot, but watching you is, I mean, that's, wow. Yeah. I think your, your head looks like it's about to explode. It's incredible. I, I just, it's staggering, it's staggering to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, and this never really happens. I'm actually lost for words. Yeah, I'm not. Um. <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm dumbfounded. <laughs> and again, so this is something when we made a murder in Mansfield and I, you know, I had the whole confrontation scene with my father in prison and asking him stuff. I literally was so shaken up afterwards. I, I remember I turned to Barbara Koppel and the rest of the crew and I was shaking. I said, somebody just please tell me that the blood that courses that man's veins does not course mine as well. Please just tell me that's not true. You're nothing like him. I know that, but when you confront that evil and when you see that, and I know there are people in here that listen to this podcast that have known my father and some of them like my father. And look, my father's a great doctor. I'll never take that away from him. But as a human being, I wouldn't exactly say that he uh, excelled at that. In those well, terms. I'm sure or that. As a husband or as a father. Yeah. Or, this is so bad. Uh, I'm that, sorry. I'm sorry. This is the first letter we were. I thought it'd be some, you know, nonsense and some BS. Is why I pulled out three letters. Right, and it started out that way with this lovely history lesson that we were learning, and then it, it took a dark turn. Real fast. Real fast. All right, y'all. Um, thank you again for tuning in. This has been episode six of Moving Past Murder. I'm Collier Landry, and I'm Brenda Fisher. Thanks, y'all. For more information, please visit movingpastmurder.com or mpmpodcast.com. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Hulu, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment.